0: So, let's take our Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Acts chapter number 2. We looked at the message from the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, and it was a, uh, a clear message about the person of Jesus Christ. He began his message by saying, Jesus of Nazareth, and by the time he concludes the message, he says, this same Jesus, whom you have crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And so the whole message was about Jesus and I want to draw your attention to the next verse and there's going to be one verse in the message uh, this afternoon Uh, and um, as I proceeded to study verse 37 through the end of the chapter uh, the Lord arrested my attention in verse number 37 I want you to notice immediately the reaction or the scene of what is going on not on the surface but in the hearts of those who heard the message. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, notice. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I I want to draw your attention to the uh, expression we find in the first part of this verse, the Bible says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I would like to preach a message that I've entitled, Preaching that Pricks the Heart. Preaching that Pricks the Heart. There's three things that I'm going to briefly uh, mention in verse 37 that I would like to give in the message this afternoon, and then we're going to expound on each one of those points. But there's really three areas that we see in this progression as the message is being preached. And we looked really at the message that, as I mentioned uh, this morning, 75% of the verses from verse number uh, 14 all the way to verse number 36, 75% mention the scriptures, make a reference or Uh, point to the Old Testament Scripture and the revelation of God. And we understand that this uh, message had a profound impact as we study the remainder of the chapter, that thousands uh, of uh, the people that were gathered and listened... Uh, received the Lord Jesus Christ. They were born again. They were added to the church there that was at Jerusalem. And this is the day of Pentecost. The moving of God is going on uh, in Jerusalem. Now although we have to understand that the majority of the Jews on that day still rejected Christ. Uh, Even we see here, even it's 2,000 or 3,000, it is a, a great minority of the amount of people who were gathered during the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Many of those people would then leave Jerusalem. So, a a great majority of the 3,000 people that uh, received Christ on that day, uh, many of them went back to their homelands. Many of them were spread around in Jerusalem uh, or around Israel. But Jerusalem here on that day, we see this tremendous scene. And there's three things we identify in verse number 37. And first of all, we're going to see their hearing. And then we're going to notice. Number two, their hearts. And then thirdly, we're going to notice their hope. And I want us to focus for just a moment as we think about this message, and I want us to think about preaching in general. I want us to think about the message and uh, the study of God's Word and the proclaiming of truth and the preaching that took place on that day and ask ourselves, uh, why do we come and listen to preaching? what's the purpose of preaching? Uh, What is preaching supposed to do in our hearts? Why is it important to be in church? And also, what is it that should happen after we hear preaching from the Word of God? What is it that should happen in our lives? And what should preaching produce? And I believe we find some of those answers in our text as we think about The immediate reaction to those that heard this message, the Bible says they were pricked in the heart, and then they say, what shall we do? I want to consider first of all, as we look at our text, we notice first of all their hearing. The Bible declares plainly in verse number 37, when they heard this. Uh, Now we ask uh, immediately here, what did they hear? Well, we've looked at this message Uh, That was uh, scriptural, a scriptural message filled with scripture. Uh, But we identify really four things in what they heard. And I want us to notice, because we can take out those truths and understand the importance of preaching. Here we notice they're hearing, first of all, uh, the preaching, in the preaching they heard, the preaching they heard was scriptural. If we go back, if you notice with me, to verse number 14, and as I mentioned, all the way to verse number 36, when Peter sees the men that are there, they, he hears their conversation, he sees them mocking, he uh, notices the question that they're asking in verse number 12, what meaneth this? Uh, the Apostle Paul immediately turns the attention of those that were gathered there to the prophet, according to verse number 16, to the prophet Joel. And then he's going to go on to explain what the prophet Joel prophesied about. And as we notice here, 75% of the verses, if we could count the verses, over 75% of them are a reference to Scripture. Whether it was to the prophet Joel, a reference back to David, or to the prophet Isaiah, there is a constant looking back of a scriptural reference and basis. Now what is interesting is that throughout the pattern of the Scripture, we find that the emphasis is not just on preaching, but is really upon what is being preached. For example, the Apostle Paul would often say, we preach Christ. In other words, he didn't say, well, we preach, we preach, we preach. He says, we preach Christ. Uh, If you uh, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and if you turn there with me, the Apostle Paul in this case is uh, instructing his son in the faith, Timothy. And I want you to notice what he tells them in 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 4. This young uh, pastor, notice what he says, 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, "...I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in His kingdom." And here it is in verse number two, three words. He says, Preach the word. Preach the word. He goes on to say, Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they should not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and and they shall be turned unto fables. It's very important to understand that when we think about the church, when we think about preaching, uh, that uh, when we uh, categorize preaching, what is good preaching and what is bad preaching, there's only one classification for good and bad preaching. Good preaching is when preaching is from the Word. Bad preaching is when preachers is outside of the Word. I remember last year we uh, were part of, in our neighborhood, we have this neighborhood app. And so we know what goes going on in the neighborhood. And the point of the app is to, uh, you know, uh, burglaries are happening. And we kind of get those notifications. Cars are break, being broken into. But every once in a while people put some little ads and put little comments. And sometimes people even invite people to church. Well in our neighborhood there was I saw this, uh, basically a uh, paragraph of uh, inviting the neighborhood to a church right outside of the neighborhood. And basically, this was the, the, the invitation uh, from this church to ask people to come uh, because they have a tremendous thing going on, uh, and the theme of that church was: movies, going to the movies. And basically, they went on to explain, you can come over to this church, and we're going to have popcorn, and our pastor is going to show a movie of Rocky, and then he's going to tell us how that movie relates to our lives. I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. This was an ad of someone in our neighborhood inviting the neighbors to the church. And basically the invitation here is our pastor is going to stand up. He's going to show us a movie and he's going to explain to us how the movie relates to our lives. And I tell you, that's not preaching. That's not a church. That's an entertainment gathering. The role of the church and the role of the preacher and of the church is to... Preach the Word. And what people in the world need is not someone to show us a movie and to tell us how the movie relates to our lives. The job of the preacher is to open the Word of God and show the people of God how the Word of God relates to our lives. You see, it's about preaching the Word. It's not about giving fancy speeches. It's not about uh, giving a homily or anything that might soothe the hearers of those that are listening. Our role in preaching, the, the desire of God for preaching is that the Word of God be preached. You will not find one message in the Word of God that does not make reference to Scriptures. You see, the challenge of the day is not that we need more preaching. The challenge and the great need of the hour is for preaching of the Word. The Word. When we think about those men who heard this, what did they hear? They heard the preaching of the word. Their hearts were pricked and then they asked the question, uh, what must we do? Understand what they heard. The preaching they heard was scriptural. But there's a second thing we see that they heard. We see number two, the preaching they heard was uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. If you go with me to verse number 12, back in Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 12, the Bible says as they see this scene on this day of Pentecost, and we know the speaking tongues that was going on, the people from different countries and different languages were hearing basically the amazing works that God had done. They were hearing that in their own languages. There was a miracle happening there. And the people were, the Bible says in verse 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? So the amazement, obviously, but notice is followed up with the doubt. And then the Bible says, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Now I want you to think about the scene at this time. I think we all understand the idea of being mocked. I think we all under uh, comprehend uh, as the, they looked at these men, they, they thought to themselves, it's the ninth hour of the day, or it's, uh, uh, nine o'clock in the morning, and these people are basically looking like they're drunk, and they are laughed at. They're being mocked, and they're being scorned. And P- Peter now has to stand up and has to tell them, uh, no, these men are not drunken as you suppose they are. If you notice there in Acts chapter uh, number 2, verse 14, but Peter, standing up in the, with the eleven lifted up His voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at, Jer- at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto My words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose seeing that is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now I want you to think here as he goes through the text and we'll see in just a moment the message was pointed specifically at them. But understand these people were mocking uh, what was going on. They were mocking the people of God. They were mocking these 120 that had gathered in the upper room who believed in the resurrection. These men had already rejected Christ. Now they were mocking what was going on. Remember that this scene was prophesied by Joel. The tongue speaking was a sign to to the Jews. And so instead of seeing the fulfilled prophecy unfold before their eyes, they were mocking. And when Peter stood up, he he stood up in a hostile environment. Jerusalem is not this nice environment where everybody can't wait to hear Peter preach. As a matter of fact, we're going to know that to be true in just a, a few more chapters where Stephen is going to preach a very similar message and then he's going to be stoned to death what he was preaching was not a popular message he would be standing up and preaching to people who would be mocking and so understand the preaching yes uh, they heard was scriptural but also the preaching they heard was uncomfortable someone stood up in their face and said it's not what you think and then he proceeded to give them the truth the truth is preaching Bible preaching will never make the hearers comfortable. Preaching often stirs things up. It makes us uncomfortable. It, it, we hear things that we do not necessarily like to hear, and it makes us uncomfortable. But again, Peter stood up and he uh, they heard that which was uncomfortable for them to hear. Which brings us to the next point, really... Uh, telling into the uh, second point, point, that is this, thirdly, the preaching they heard was personal. I want you to notice here, each reference that Peter makes to those that were gathered there, he says this in verse number 22. Ye men of Israel. That's specific. He says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among, here it is, you, by miracles and wonders and signs which... God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Notice, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Notice, go down to verse number 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you as of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Notice verse 33, Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. And then one more time in verse number 36, he says after presenting Jesus Christ, he says... Whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, the preaching they heard was personal, it was pointed at them. And notice here, the pointing at them uh, was uh, uh, seen in their response, their heart was pricked because the preaching was pointed at them. It would be just as, now Peter didn't do that he was preaching, but it would be just when he says you and ye, it would just be the same effect as if Peter walked around and poked every one of those men in their chest and say, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. And the preaching, again, was personal. There's one more thing we see about this preaching that they heard. It was scriptural, it was uncomfortable, it was personal, but also, number four, the preaching they heard was purposeful. We summed up the message, and I won't belabor that because we preached that last time, but he says in verse number 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words, and here's the the message, you ready? Jesus of Nazareth. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? That is the fundamental question that the Apostle Peter is going to uh, proclaim. Now we made the note that Peter could have said, now look, Uh, These uh, uh, fellows over here, they're all speaking in tongues. That's a great miracle that's happening. How about you come and let me tell you how you can join this group and do something supernatural. That's not what he said. That was not the invitation. That was not the appeal. He introduces them to Jesus of Nazareth. And so from verse number 22 all the way to verse 36, notice his conclusion in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, what Jesus? The Jesus of Nazareth that I introduced to you at the beginning of the message, whom ye have crucified, He is both Lord and Christ. He is God who became flesh so that He could die for the sin of man. You see, the preaching they heard was Purposeful. It was not this generic little speech. It was not some soliloquy. It was the preaching of Jesus. Now, I remember I was reading an account of Daniel Webster, the famous American politician and orator. Once spent a summer in New Hampshire, and every Lord's Day, he went to a little country church morning and evening. His niece asked him why he went there and uh, he paid little attention to the far abler sermons in Washington to which Daniel Webster replied. He says, in Washington they preached to Daniel Webster, the statesman. But this man has been telling Daniel Webster the sinner of Jesus of Nazareth. This man preaches Christ. Now there's a difference There's a difference in the message. And as God's people, we have to discern when someone is preaching again the Word of God. When someone is preaching with purpose or if someone is just babbling uh, to uh, tell us something that we like to hear or that makes us feel better or that stirs some emotion within us. And the Spirit is not present and the Scriptures are never mentioned. Some churches used to have a setup all up on the platform. They used to have a pulpit over here where they read the scriptures, and they had another pulpit on the other side where they gave their little speeches. That was appropriate, because a lot of their little speeches had nothing to do with the scriptures that they read. And so we find here that this, what they heard, when we read verse 37. Now, when they heard this, what they heard was important. They heard. Scriptural preaching, uncomfortable preaching, personal preaching, and purposeful preaching. We come to the second part of this verse, and not only do we see their hearing, but secondly, we see their hearts. And truly, that is what preaching must do. The Bible says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You know what Bible preaching will always do? It will always pierce the heart. That's what Bible preaching will do. I want you to notice two things here as we consider their hearts. First of all, we see the power of the message. Now, the word pricked is an interesting word. It means literally to pierce thoroughly. It means also to... Agitate violently. The Greek word for pricked is kata nuso, which is really a combination of two words. It's an interesting study. It is a combination of kata, which means in and within, and nuso, which means to pierce or to prick. The only other time that the word nuso is found by the way this is the only time this word is used in the new testament the only other time that the word nuso itself is found is in reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in John chapter 19 verse 34 where the bible says but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side That's the same word, the word "anuso," and forthwith. Notice what happens when the piercing takes place. And forthwith came there out blood and water. Now I want you to think about the image, because within the text of the Bible itself, we have an understanding of what it means to pierce or to prick. You see, the only time, as I mentioned, that the word "anuso" is found in the Bible is a reference to the. Pierced side of the Lord. And when Jesus Christ was pierced, the Bible tells us that blood and water came out. The piercing did this. The piercing is the opening of that which has been closed off. Uh, By which something can either be emptied or filled. I would explain it like this. I have a water bottle right here, and in this water bottle, you can see it is contained within the bottle. But if I come over here and with a knife and I pierce or prick the bottom, uh, it is an opening that was not there before, and the water will begin to flow out. Or I can do it the other way. This bottle could be completely empty, and I go in the river, and I completely submerge that bottle into the water where it's completely submerged, and uh, it will remain dry inside unless I pierce through the water bottle. And the moment I pierce through the water bottle, if it's in under the water, the water will rush in. So the idea of piercing is to uh, create an opening that was been closed off. Now in the case of Christ, the piercing caused a flowing out. The blood and the water that was in his body was uh, seared off. It was protected, but as soon as his body was pierced, the water and the blood came flowing out. There was an opening that was made. In the case of Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the piercing caused a flowing in. Their hearts were hard, their hearts were empty, their hearts had said, Crucify Jesus. Their hearts were against God, and now as the preaching took place, their heart that was empty was now pierced with the Word of God. And so a flowing could take place. You see, the Word of God entered into them and was a sharp sword in them which cut and laid open their hearts and the sin and the wickedness that was in them. You see, there was a... Pain that was felt in their hearts. On that day, they were wounded in the Spirit, just as Jesus Christ, when He was pierced in His side, felt a pain on His side, and the water came flowing out. So on that day, on the day of Pentecost, when the people are gathered and they're listening to the preaching of Peter, they're listening to the preaching, and then their hearts are being pierced, and now the Word of God is making inroads in their hearts. And they felt a pain inwardly. You know, the Bible makes it clear that the Word of God is like a sharp sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, For the Word of God is quick. That's the Word of God and powerful. And what is it? It is sharper than any two edged sword. And what does it do? piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God pierces the heart. Understand, that is why the Word of God is powerful because it can take something hard uh, something that is hard to get into that man cannot get into but God can get into it by the power of His Word. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 as we're discussing the armor of God, uh, Paul says the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. You see, their heart, we see the power of the message that pierced their heart. And I understand that here the scene is... Uh, Peter who understands the Gospel, who uh, delivers the Gospel to those who were unbelieving on that day, to those who uh, rejected Christ, but on that day their hearts would be pierced, but understand the application uh, must go far beyond just to the lost. I remember, brother, uh, we could go back to last week in Sunday school uh, when uh, brother Crenshaw was talking about the heart. You remember? The heart can be hardened. Hardened. The heart of the believer can uh, become hardened and callous to where it's just uh, the Word of God does not penetrate and we kind of lay off and we become comfortable in our spiritual condition and we're not allowing the Word of God to pierce our hearts. And there's a great danger today because there is the danger of churches that do not preach the Word of God. But there is also a great danger where there are people who say, well, I like hard preaching and I want to be a part of a church that preaches the Word of God. But yet at the same time, our heart be unmoved by the Word of God. That's possible. Where we say, I like hard preaching, but yet we do not allow the Word of God to pierce our hearts. Our hearts hearts have been hardened. And what is the problem of man? We see not only the power of the message, but we also see in this the problem of man. The Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Evangelist Sam Jones was... Estimated to have preached 1,000 sermons to approximately 3 million people from August of 1855 to September of 1886. One of Jones's quotes was the following He says, The roar of the commerce, the click of the telegraph, and the whistle of the engine have well nigh drowned out the voice of God. Now, that was back then. I think if Sam Jones were alive today, he might say something like this. The apps on our smartphones, the news on the television, and the chaos in Wall Street, and one might say the busyness of our schedule and the the demands of our time and the call for our leisure have drowned out the Word of God. And we've become cold and calloused to the preaching of God's Word. What is it that has drowned out the voice of God in our lives. Our Lord Jesus Christ's message to the seven churches of Revelation, you remember what He said? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to go with me to Psalm chapter 95. In Psalm chapter 95, the Bible tells us here, if you, we pick it up in verse number 6, Psalm 95, verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if ye will hear His voice, here it is, verse 8, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said... It is a, a people that do err in their heart and they have not known My ways unto whom I swear in My wrath that they shall not enter into My rest. Uh, those words are echoed to the believers in the book of Hebrews when He says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. When you hear the voice of God, when you come to church to listen to the preaching of God's Word, when you listen to a message, don't harden your heart. There's the potential there to, for us to say and understand another i talking about someone that says, I don't believe in God and I reject God's voice. I'm talking about someone who is discomfortable where they are. And who is unmoved by the Spirit of God who is unmoved by the preaching of God's word that is the fundamental problem of man if you go with me back to Acts chapter uh, number 7 we know in Acts chapter number 2 we see the great scene when Peter preaches we have a great amount of people whose hearts were pricked the bible says they received the word and they were baptized on the same day that were added unto them about 3000 souls but then we go a few chapters later in Acts chapter number 7 and this time it is not Peter that is preaching but is Stephen and Stephen in Acts chapter 7 uh, he preaches his wonderful message. And I want you to notice here in verse number 51, the reaction or the response of this really same group of people who have been stirred up by the preaching for some time now. Now there's a man that stands up by the name of Stephen and they don't like to hear what he says. And the Bible says in verse 51, he, Stephen speaks and it says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye he do, here it is, always resist The Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayer and murderer, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things, there it is, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on Him with their teeth, and He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing in the right hand of God. The Bible says here, when after Peter was preaching, he basically says, you're stiff-necked people. You have a hard heart. You're not listening to the Word of God. You're just like your previous fathers, the generations that came before you, who always persecuted the prophets of God. And he says... The Bible tells us, and they were cut to the heart. The word cut literally means to saw asunder. These people are described as stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, as always resisting the Holy Ghost. Well, guess what? We know the unbeliever can resist the Holy Ghost, but do we not also know that the believer can also resist the Holy Ghost? We can stand in opposition of the sword of the Spirit, because we may not like something that may be said from the Word of God. I want you to go with me to Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet who was sent to preach to the southern kingdom, Judah and Jerusalem. We know that the northern kingdom would be taken in captivity before Judah. Uh, but Jeremiah, as he's called of God, if you go with me to Jeremiah chapter number 1, God makes clear the, mis- the mission of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is to preach. But what we find in the book of Jeremiah is not only the preaching of Jeremiah, but we also find the condition the spiritual condition of the heart of the people at that time who lived in Judah and in Jerusalem. And you notice with me in Jeremiah chapter 1 in verse number 17, uh, God uh, speaks to Jeremiah and He says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be thou dismayed at their faces lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillar and a brazen walls." Against the whole land. Notice here, Jeremiah, you're going to stand against the kings of Judah. Jeremiah, you're going to stand against the princes thereof. Jeremiah, you're going to stand against the priests thereof. And you're also going to stand against the people of the land. Now, that, I don't know if that, how, what you think about that, but that would not be an encouraging news from God. He says, Jeremiah, you're going to go preach, and I'm going to be with you, and I want you to know, the kings, the princes, the priests, all the people, they're going to stand against you. And they're not going to listen to you, but guess what, Jeremiah? You're still going to preach to them. Now, what kind of people would be such that would listen, this man of God, son of God, to preach the Word of God? Well, if you go with me to chapter number 4. In Jeremiah chapter 4, we have the condition of the people in Judah described in Jeremiah 4. Notice verse 1. He says this, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto Me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of My sight, then shalt thou not remove and thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in Him, and in Him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn, that none can quench it because of the evil of your glory There's two things here that he says to the people of Israel. If you're going to listen to God, there's two things you have to do. You have to break up the fallow ground and receive the seed. That's what he tells them verse 3 and verse 4. Notice verse 3. He says, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. In other words, before the people of Israel could adequately receive the message from the prophet Jeremiah, they had to bring things up. You see, the idea of, fallow, of the fallow ground, the ground uh, that is left untouched uh, over time is hardened as men would uh, tread on the path. Uh, the path becomes harder and harder. The farmers every year would break up the ground each year uh, for the in preparation of the seed being sown. The weeds must be cleared from the field. The dirt must be exposed to the sun and to the air that had to take place before the sowing of the seed. No farmer in his right mind would go ahead and throw the seed on this hard ground that has not been tilled, this uh, hard ground that has not been turned up. And here Jeremiah said, what needs to happen is your heart. You need to turn things upside down. You need to stir things up. You need to break things up because you become hard. And then you can receive the seed. He goes on to say in verse 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. You see, it is only after the ground has been broken up that the seed can properly penetrate and grow. Something has been layered around their heart. They've become hard. As the New Testament put it, we can become seared, hard, that nothing can penetrate and go through. There will be no growth, there will be no fruit. Unless there is a breaking up of the fallow ground. Unless there is a removing of the foreskin of the heart, there will be no change. There's one more thing we find in this message. If you go with me in Acts chapter number 2, the Bible tells us now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, many people can look at this question and interpret it in different ways, but the truth is, I want you to think about the scene. They listened to this preaching. The preaching, again, was certainly scriptural, as we've noticed, the preaching was uncomfortable to them. The preaching was personal, is pointing right at them. Also, we see the preaching was purposeful. There's no doubt as to what the message was about, who the message was about, and what they had to do about the person that was preached. And now they come to this place when they're, they hear these things, their heart is pierced, the Word of God has uh, cut their hearts, and now the Word of God has penetrated their hearts, and there's a good amount of people on that day who respond by saying, what shall we do? Now, there certainly, when we think and consider their hearts, we know that Bible preaching will pierce the heart. But here we also see, and I believe this with all my heart, is that Bible preaching will always provide hope. Do you see the question that is asked? They're guilty! They've crucified the Lord. He says, ye by wicked hands, you've crucified and slain. And although it was in the mind of God before you ever were born... Understand that Jesus Christ, a God, in His love for you, in the person of Christ, died to pay for your sin debt and God used your evil towards His Son to save you and to redeem you. And at that moment, as they're listening to the preaching, they hear this preaching, the scriptural preaching. Their heart is pierced. And now this is what Bible preaching does to them. They come to this place. They say, what shall we do? And I believe ultimately that is the result of Bible preaching. In other words, we we don't come to church and try to uh, come and congregate together and listen to Bible preaching so that we can get more information. To satisfy our curiosity of the scriptures, we don't come and study the word of God and study the great doctrines of the truth so that we can say, hey, I have this knowledge and I can walk around with my nose up in the air and say, now I'm a theologian, I'm accomplished, I've studied this era. We come to the word of God says, I want God to convict me, I want God to humble me, I want God to conform me into the image of His Son. And when Bible preaching takes place, the people of God ought to be to the places, what do I need to do, God? What is it you want from me? I'm here. My heart's open. I'll listen. Tell me whatever you want me to hear. That's exactly their response. Now, not the response of all, but at least the response of 3,000 people. And I just wonder as we think about this verse, how many times I, how many times we, hear the preaching of God's Word? And find ourselves to be unmoved. And how do we know we're unmoved? Is because we never ask the final question. What is it you want me to do, God? You see, that translates into something practical, does it not? Now, what does what it? What do they need to do? Well, the Bible says, verse thirty-eight. Then Peter said to them, "Repent." And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children. Now notice here, He never talked about the Holy Ghost at the beginning. He never said, hey, you want to be, do you want to have this supernatural experience? You want to know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? As you see these men, no. He introduces them to Jesus Christ. He shows them that they stand as sinners before God. And now as they stand here, they say, well, what do we need to do? He says, repent. Believe on Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Identify with this person that you rejected. And then you will find yourselves, you will receive the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is not salvation. It is the product, the result of someone's conversion but Bible preaching always brings hope you see there are some very straightforward doctrines the doctrine of hell the doctrine of the justice and the judgment of God and you can't run around those things you can't ignore those things But whatever doctrine is taught in the Word of God, the Word of God always gives hope. It started in Genesis in the first book and it ends in the book of Revelation. There's always this appeal. God knows that man rebelled against Him. But yet, from even the beginning in Genesis... In chapter number three, as soon as man sinned and God pronounced the judgment of God upon them, He gave them hope by saying that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And every time the nation of Israel turned their backs on God, and every time the heathen nation walked in their ungodliness and their filth in the sight of God, there's a man of God that was sent. There's someone that was sent to preach to them as in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea and Amos. And all those men were sent. Why? Because God always offers hope to His people. And God always offers hope to the world when Bible preaching takes place. Isn't it wonderful that, yes, we talk about sin and hell, but we also say that Jesus Christ redeemed us from that, that we don't have to go there. And here are these men under the intense conviction of the Spirit of God and their hearts being pierced. The Holy Spirit of God now gives them the next step. Repent. The Bible says they received the Word. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, His person. They were immediately indwelt by the Spirit of God upon the profession of their faith. They were baptized, they identified with the people of God. In other words, what I'm saying to you is the preaching drew the people that heard the preaching to something specific happening in their lives. The truth that we ask ourselves, well, uh, Pastor, I wonder if, If there's any, why is it that I I don't see any change in my life? Why is it that I'm not excited about the things of God? It could be, and most likely is, that just we've become comfortable where we are. And when the Spirit of God tries to prick our hearts, He can't get in. When He's trying to allow His Word to come in, And really is a two-fold thing where when we are pricked, we are emptied of ourselves. And we can become filled with the Word of God. You see, may the Lord help us. Because we ask ourselves, what does this mean to us practically? There is always a result to Bible preaching. You see, we have to identify ourselves and we have we can't say, Well, you know what? I'm good because I'm part of a church that preaches God's Word. Well, I'm good because we opened the Bible on Sunday. Well, I'm good because I heard the truth and I was convicted of the truth. No, the moment we walked out those doors, what is it that has changed? What is it that has changed? Ultimately, that's what God's trying to do in our lives. He's trying to remove us from where we are And bring us closer into the likeness of His Son. The doctrine of sanctification and glorification is something that the Lord continues to do in our lives. But for that, we have to be in the place where we break things up. You know, the Bible says, as an eagle, so the Lord. And the picture for us in that passage is that as the eagle in their nest, they have at the beginning make things very comfortable. But then there comes a time when those little eaglets have to jump out. They can't stay in the nest comfortable forever. So you know what the eagle does, mama eagle, every once in a while she begins to remove the feathers. She removes everything that makes them comfortable And then she begins to twist the branches up so that the little eaglets are not comfortable and they will no longer stay there. And the only option is for them to step out and jump. And most of them when they jump, they can't fly. You know when they like to fly? In the jump. And when they're incapable of doing that, what does the eagle do? She bears them on her wings. They don't die. Scientist says it nearly never happens that a mother eagle fails to rescue her little eaglet. As an eagle, so the Lord. God stirs things up in our lives to cause us to do something for Him. And may the Lord help us. Has your heart, or maybe we should ask this, has our hearts recently been pricked? Are the Spirit of God pierced through by His mighty sword? Or have we gone so long that we cannot remember of the last time when the Spirit of God caused something to change in our lives to the likeness of Christ?